Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 17 verses 16 to 34. Paul's in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this pretentious babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be proclaiming a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our God. For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commends all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them. But some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus and the Arachbegate, and a woman named Demarius and others with him. Let us pray. 
May the words of my mouth and, and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Paul's travels took him all over Asia Minor and Greece into Italy. He was in Athens this time. Athens was the intellectual center of the Western world. Rome was probably the political, economic, and military center. Athens was a heterogeneous, varied, cosmopolitan place. It was a crossroad for ideas. People enjoyed the world of thought and ideas and debate. The city was filled with statues and temples. They worshiped many gods. It was a smorgasbord of worldviews. Paul must have been an amazing man. He had great self-confidence because he jumped right into the thick of it. He was a cultured, lettered, educated man. He was versed in Greek as well as Hebrew culture, and so he was able to discourse with them and meet them on their own ground. He would speak to anyone who would listen, and these folks loved to listen and they loved to debate. These are people who were conversant with the major worldviews at the time. Acts talks about Epicureans. They were not the modern corruption of the term a connoisseur of good food. It was a rather a very serious philosophical system. It was a theory of knowledge about how to do life based on the five senses. It was very empirical in the sense that only those things that I see, hear, touch, taste, and smell are real. It was a forerunner of our behaviorist theory of B.F. Skinner. The good is what the five senses identify as pleasurable. Second was the, were the Stoics. Stoics were, had a great similarity to the 18th century Enlightenment thinkers like John Locke and Thomas Jefferson. Wisdom for them was to act according to the natural order of things. Within each person is a rational ordering principle the capacity to rationally understand natural law, the ability to direct the self, the ability to control life by using thought to follow this natural law. And then there were the Greek mystery religions. They related to the fertility of the earth and the seasons. Often they were very sensual. There was cult prostitution. They were all trying to put people at one with the deity. So Athens was this great place of ferment, intellectual and spiritual ferment. All of the competing worldviews were attempting to help their advocates find meaning and purpose in life. Paul was astute. He understood that different approaches needed to be done for different people. There are many varieties of religion and philosophies. 
Therefore, as a starting point, he, he had used a common point of reference. It was a statue that said, this is a statue to an unknown God. He says, he's smart guy, you are deeply religious people. I, he identifies with them and does not want to offend them. So what I want to tell you is who this unknown God is. I will fill in the blanks for you. I will put flesh and blood on the stone image. Let me tell you about this God. This God is not encased in images of gold or silver or bronze or stone. The God I know is the God who created the world and everything in it, who made the nations, who gave life to every living thing. This is the God who has placed us in us a craving for God, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. This is a God who is personal and interactive, who demonstrates always unconditional love, who has created us with the purpose of having a relationship with God. This is a God who is revealed through a human being, Jesus Christ. Through his life and death and resurrection, we come to know what God is like. And that through this God, we can have the promise of a new life. The God that Paul told them about is a deeply personal God. The Athenians wanted to keep God safely enclosed in finite gold or silver or stone images or locked up in logic tied to mental constructs or expressed through the five senses and some more sensually. Whereas Paul was talking about a whole larger reality of human experience. Paul's God is derived from another source and apprehended through the heart, not irrationally, but non-rationally. It's a vision of life that sees beyond the tangible to a world of beauty and caring and passion and action. Not much different now than it was in Paul's day. Today there are those whose belief system resides in science. My hero, William Sloan Coffin, has this to say. It is the promise that with the same techniques that have worked in the physical sciences, eventually you can create an exact science of people. These people fail to distinguish between cumulative knowledge and the existential knowledge. Crane Britton, in his wonderful book, which I commend to you, uh, Ideas and Men, talks about the difference between cumulative knowledge and experiential or existential knowledge. Cumulative knowledge is scientific knowledge. So when all of us are born, we're on top of the pile. When I was born, there were airplanes and, and radio and automobiles, but there was not yet the artificial intelligence. There was not yet the internet and all the things that have come up. So anybody born today is on top of the pile and, and that's why these kids are so much better at computers than I am. Whereas, uh, so for example, Archimedes or Aristotle could never have a conversation with Einstein. They wouldn't know what the heck he was talking about. Whereas in existential knowledge, everyone is born with a blank slate 
We're all starting from zero, and we have to figure out in the years that we have, what's the purpose in life? What gives me meaning? What is important to me in life? And why should I be alive? And so, uh, for example, Socrates or Plato could have a very relevant conversation with a modern-day philosopher like John Dewey. The problem now is then, and I talk coffin again, far too often rational objectivity has been used as a rationalization for a spiritual disengagement from moral issues of political and social life. When problems touch ambiguous, emotional, moral issues, skepticism becomes an illusion to hide behind. These are the skeptical intellectuals who claiming open minds confuse the virtue of a mind open at one end with the vice of a mind open at both. The problem is, of course, it doesn't work even by scientific views. I think of the theory of quantum theory of physics without going into the technicalities of it, which you know that I would not be able to do, this much is clearly true. In order for the theory to work, and it seems to, the assumption must be made that the same molecule must be at two places at the same time, which, of course, is logically, rationally impossible. I could go into some more arguments about hedonism, don't have time in this sermon. The point is, the deepest meanings of life are derived from beyond reason, beyond the five senses, beyond hedonism. These systems don't deliver today any more than they did 2,000 years ago. It reminds me of my seminary days. I think of all the divinity students and faculty at Yale University Divinity School, committed Christians all, one would think this would be a place where we would have a very intense experience of faith. The fact is, for me anyway, this was not the case. I have many happy memories of those years. I have friends, remember friends that I made, pranks that we played. We took David Buchan's furniture out of his apartment and put it right in the middle of the quad and arranged it exactly the way it was inside the building. But for the most part, it was a spiritually a difficult time because I spent time studying and theorizing and reflecting, but not doing. We were untested in life. You know I was anxious about getting up in front of people, and I was thinking to myself, would I have something to say? I'm sure we all were worried about our competence because I was intellectualizing my faith and not doing it. It was not until I got into my first parish that I began to grasp why I went into the ministry because it was the experience of faith. It was doing faith that made it come alive. Rather than theological abstractions, it was real encounters with real people about the most important issues of life. When I had to interact with other fallible human beings about issues of birth and vocation 
and relationships and divorce, of aging and disease and death, of war and peace and social justice. It made all the difference. Rather than theological abstractions, it was real encounters with real people about the most important issues of life. When I had to interact with... Oops. <clears throat> These are the gut issues that our faith wrestles with. It is only then the power of the love of Jesus Christ begins to take on flesh and blood. And so this is where we experience the reality of God. It is not in intellectual constructs. It is not in sensual journeys. It is right here among us this day, this morning, this place, as we struggle to, about what it means to live and to live well, to transcend life's traumas, and to learn to minister to one another to come together to help us go through this transition period in the life of our church. This is where the real action is. This is where Jesus Christ comes alive. This is where we experienced at first hand the fullness and the power of God. Let us pray. We thank you, God, that you are not an unknown God, but you are real and alive as we minister in your name. Amen. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.